0: Listening to the Sermons podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church, we pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Amen. praise the Lord! Good to be in with you again this morning as we finish our one, the last of the third series in this walking together with God. Let's just commit this time to the Lord, Heavenly Father. I thank you for the worship. I thank you for being in your presence and that you've been with us this whole time, and in fact, you've never left us. I pray just bless the reading of your word now and just maybe we be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a bit of a whirlwind world, world world study in looking at three people in scripture. And if I can encourage one thing is after the series is finished, when you take time on your, by yourselves to go and study the lives of, of Noah and of Daniel and of Job and um, just see what God says and can challenge and speak to you on. Now, the point is not to compare ourselves with these people because the Bible doesn't call us anywhere to compare ourselves with anybody. Um, we Just to align ourselves with Christ. But we can encourage and provoke each other to love and good works. And let's let these testimonies of these saint, great saints, our brothers in the Lord, let their testimonies pr- provoke us to love and good works. And let us be encouraged that they've walked the walk before, they've received of their reward, not the total final one yet, but they have much cl- very close to it until the Lord actually declares the end of time. But they've done their bit. And they are witnesses and testimonies and, encourages, and, encourages to, sorry, and encouraging us to, to walk the way we should. So just as a, as a brief recap, when we started the series, we started looking at Ezekiel chapter 14. And God speaks really strongly against his people, saying, you've set up idols in your hearts. And the important part was idols in the hearts. That's what grabbed me. It wasn't these actual shrines. It was things inside their hearts. And that's the challenge we're all here today, and we all look super spiritual this morning, which is great, but God looks here. I can even be up here looking super spiritual this morning, but you don't know what's going on in my heart, but God knows what's in my heart, and, and what's in my heart might derail me from serving God, cause me to to turn my back on Him, and to not know His blessings, and God says it is so bad that even if these three great saints of his that he said he singles out, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were with Israel at that time, or the Israelites at that time, God would not save their nation, we will not prevent them from being um, chastised. He would deliver those three because of their personal relationship. And that's the other thing we picked out is that our walk with God is personal. We worship corporately, but it's a personal relationship that we work out. So we've looked at, at Noah, Daniel, and now we're looking at Job with a continued question of how should we live if we too want to walk with our God? And then I also singled out the point that I think we've got to be very careful when we think of the word God because it has so many meanings today. If you get into philosophical debates, it'll always talk about what's right between you and your God. No, no, we're talking about the God. We're talking about Yahweh or Jehovah. And so when we, think, when we say the word God, in our heart, minds, I want us to picture and be very conscious that we're not just talking about God as defined by the movies or as defined by common... Um, common traditional way people talk, we're talking about Yahweh, the, the God I am, um, that spoke of old and speaks to us today. So first of all, Job. We'll start with what we don't know about Job. Now that's a pretty odd thing. How can I talk about something we don't know? This is just to give some sort of context. This is stuff the Bible doesn't actually really tell us about, but we can deduce. So I mention it just for context, but we can't build any, th- any theology on it. We can't make any doctrinal claims to it. It appears that he was born in the, in the patriarchal era between somewhere between, um, between Moses and Abraham. Uh, the reason we say that is if we look at Scripture is that it would appear the law was not yet given. We know that Job was a righteous man, and this is going to sound really bad in our modern environment, but he left an inheritance to his daughters and his sons. Now, that's not bad. That's actually very good. But according to the law, you left inheritance only to your sons. If there were no sons, you then left it to your daughters. So it would appear that if Job was righteous, he would have lived under the law, and the fact that he makes mention of leaving something for his daughters it would appear that the law was not yet given. Tradition also states that he lived to about h- 200 and 210 years old. So tradition, we don't know, but that's what they say. Now, if that was his lifespan, that's in line with how old people lived in that period, between 185 and between 110 to 185 years. If we take 210 as his, as, a, as his agreed age when he died, his trial started at 70. So he was pretty well seasoned in life already. He'd been serving God for a while. And other thing which I never thought about is it lasted a number of months. I don't know what you think of when you think of Job's sufferings, but um, I've never ever thought of a time. I just thought it was a forever experience. But it was weeks to months, if we read the Scripture. It doesn't refer to years. It seems to refer to those time periods. He lived 140 years after his tribulation. Okay, that we do, that we do know. That's quite a biblical reference there, so scrap that last thing. This is a this we do know about, and beyond the Euphrates, which is possibly modern-day Jordan. So we don't know all this except for that 140 years. We don't know any of this stuff um, for certain, um, and God didn't seem it necessary for us to know for sure. And that ties into something that Mark said a while back. If it's not there, we're not going to make a big deal about it. But I'll just mention those sort of things um, just for context. So what do we know about Job? And we'll start reading from Job chapter 1, from, from verse 1 to, el- to 11. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. What a wonderful start to description of somebody. There was a man. He existed. He's not, fig- he's not, he's not someone who didn't exist. People might tell us that, that they don't know if Job was real. No, the Bible tells us he was real. He was blameless, upright, and we start, he fears God and shuns evil. Two really important things. You can't fear God and not shun evil. Um, sometimes in my life I say I fear God and then I go and fill my mind with all sorts of rubbish. Um, but no, we need to even hate the appearance of evil. And this is what Job did. And, um, sorry, he feared and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. So he had a large family, ten, large family. Um, also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels as kids, you'd be glad, wouldn't want to be on pet duty that week. F- 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So, this man was the greatest of all people in the East. And I also never picked that up. I've read it this often. He was the greatest man, which also is an encouragement because no matter where you find yourself in life, from the pauper to the most wealthy, God has a plan for you. And God can use you. We sometimes, we sometimes, have, we sometimes, um, if we, we don't really move in the mega wealthy like the Bill Gates and all those sort of have billions of dollars. Well, not that I know of, but um, my guess is that we don't in this congregation move in those circles. Um, but even if you're in those circles, sometimes we, we put those people to one side. But you know, God has a plan no matter where you are in life, from the wo- poorest to the most wealthy. And He was the greatest man in the, in the land of the East. So He wasn't just rich, He, wa- he was the greatest. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each one an appointed day, and would send and invite three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God. Where? In their hearts. Interesting, they're tied to in their hearts again. In their hearts. So they might have been playing the game but inside there was something wrong. This Job did regularly. He had a concern for what was important in his life. It was important that his kids had good education, had roof over their head, had clothes, no, no. He was concerned that they had cursed God in their hearts. And, it, and in the world that we live, we get so distracted by this stuff, and, and it's right as parents, we want the best. I don't believe we need to create hardship for our children. We don't have to make them wear old clothes just to learn a lesson, and that's, that's ridiculous. But that shouldn't be my main driver. I do those things because I want to and I love. But my main driver is, I want my son and, sons and my, do- my son and my daughter to serve God with all their hearts. I don't want them to curse God in their heart. Because if they do that, not only will they lose out, but then my grandkids will lose out. And, and there will be a legacy of, of just destruction and no hope. So that was his greatest. He was concerned with the spiritual well-being of his family. And then it goes on here, and we know the story. And there was a day when the sons of God came... Uh, to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from when do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then Satan, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Job stood out to God. And how? A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. That was the words from God's So. So, so Job stands out to God. And then we continue. So, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed him, the work of his hands, and the possessions have increased with the land. Now stretch out your hand and touch him, all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So, not only did Job stand out to God, Job stood out to Satan. Um, and, and as we live our lives, the principalities and powers see the way we live. And so not only have we been, we often think, oh, I must be a witness to, I must be a testimony to the people around me. But you know what? We are a testimony to principalities and powers of the reality of God. Our testimony isn't just here and now; it's spiritual. And sometimes with that, as you'll see, comes a reaction. And the reaction was that Satan tried to disprove what God said, using Job as an example. So, Job's trials and anguish. So if we look at, at um, we've just read that part there, we look at from verse 13 to 20. So basically Satan says, well, you touch Job, you take everything that makes him who he is, and he's going to curse you. So what happens? What happens? Um, if we're on, we're on page five of the, of the slide, slide number five, anguish. So what happens in verse 13? Now nah, there was a day. It's not a period of time. So it's not a few weeks. There was a day, a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. So Job was probably getting the sacrifice, ready to sacrifice in case his kids had cursed God in his heart. And a message came to James, Job before he could do the sacrifice, of course. The oxen were, the oxen were plying and the, the donkeys feeding, them feeding besides them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone am escaped to to tell you. He loses his his, his, his livestock. While he was yet speaking, another one comes in and says, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep, the servants, and consumed them, and I alone am left to tell you. So more of his livestock are taken. While he was yet speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands. Raided the camels, took away, yes, and killed the servants by the edge of the sword, and I alone am left to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, the worst of all, another came and said to him, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in in, in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell down on them, and they were dead, and I alone escaped to tell you. And in, in literally, while they were still speaking, so I think we could assume within about 15 minutes, maybe half an hour, depending on how long they took, this news comes to them. Wow, wow, wow. And you know what's really worse about the lo- last one? Not because of its children. It is because of its children. Is that the first three were at least third-party actions. Um, and maybe there might be one there, the, one, the five, the, there was the, the, the raiders. Okay, then there was a the fire from God. So basically, God destroys part of it. But his kids as well. It was a wind. It was like something God could control, which took out his family and destroyed his family. And we get these real amazing things, the response of Job. Then Job arose. Now, I don't want to trivialize this, because Job didn't arrive. You know, you watch some of the televangelists, there's one and I won't know names. I, just, I call him the bless you Christian. It just annoys me totally. He's got a smile on his face all the time. And everything's good, no matter what happens. Um, Job doesn't have that experience. Oh, praise the Lord. No. What does he say? He rose. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell on the ground because he was in anguish. But he worshipped. He gave God his honor. This is not a message about looking happy in the face of destruction and, and, and hardship. That's not the testimony. The testimony is in spite of your grief and pain that you worship God. And this is he says: "Naked I came out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there." The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not did not charge God with wrong. He acknowledged that God was God. That's what I This is not a standard. This is not the standard to set. This is a heart issue. If our hearts are right, we will react in the correct way because it all starts in the heart. But his anguish was huge. Okay, he was. I mean, he'd ripped. He'd, in a state of mourning. Then after that, Job, Satan comes to the Lord and says, oh, yeah, that's nothing. He's just taking his stuff, although I think his kids are quite a big deal to take away. But if you touch his very body and you afflict him with sores or, or, or ill health, so we see in Job chapter 2, verse 7 to 12, Job two seven. so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with not just boils, painful boils, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a Himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes to get rid of, I'm guessing, the blisters and the, the pus and all the, the infection out. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. The person very closest to him wasn't there to be an encouragement. The helpmeet that God had provided was telling him, Turn your back on God. Um, but he said to her, You speak as one with a, of one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? Shall we? Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In fact, if we go to Job, if we go to chapter twelve, there, when his friends come to him, when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. They lifted up their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe, and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. His best friends did not. That's how disfigured he was. That's how. How, how whatever the sickness did to him, they did not recognize him. That's in what bad state he was. Now, I'm not wanting to trivialize him was anything. That wasn't, as I say, Job wasn't just like, our oh, God's in control. He was dealing with big stuff. The whole of chapter 3 just tells you his anguish, the pain he's in. It's real. But his God was more real. Then, in the middle of it, when he should have people around him to encourage him and support him, he gets his friends, and his friends come and tell him, there's got to be sin in your life. Now, as an aside, a real small aside, it's not about I believe and the Bible tells us sin can result in, in chastising from God. So you've got to discern these things. It can be that because God chastised who he loves and sometimes there's, there's, there, there, there's hardship that comes because of that. But this was definitely not the case. He was the man who was blameless before God in comparison with everybody else. And they weren't taking even from the law. They were judging by their own mind and their own, their own common sense and so they weren't encouraging him. They were telling him, no, you're wrong. There's sin in your life. And what does Go- Job say in chapter 19 now? In the middle of everybody, in the middle of everybody giving him a hard time, having lost his family, it's at his lowest step. These are some of my most encouraging words that, I've, that I often think about when I'm going through hard times from Job. He says in Job chapter 19, verses uh, 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand in the last day on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in the flesh I will see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Yet my heart yearns within me. I know that my Redeemer lives. Now that can only happen if your heart is right. His heart was fully focused on God. And yes, he didn't say, I understand how it works. He didn't say this makes sense. He didn't say this was right or fair. All he said is, Yahweh lives, and I will stand before him. And I don't know what this, what, I can't make sense of this, but that's my experience. Move on to the next stage, Job's, Job's repentance and, and restoration. And this one I sort of battled with a bit, but we'll let the Holy Ghost minister into us on it. Then Job answered the Lord, because now there's this whole discourse happening and God's asking questions. And, and so Job answers the Lord and he says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this, your heart's counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Listen to me and I will speak. You said, I have a question to you, and you shall answer me. I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And while I say I battled with this is that, I was like, what did Job have to repent from? Why did he need to repent? He was blameless and upright. What was the repentance for? But you know what? Job in that his state, realized that even though he was serving God, there was still stuff in his heart which was not pleasing to God. And the thoughts that I had there is that in one Job, first of all, he questions God and proclaims himself righteous. And, we, and through the discord that leads up to that. And there is none righteous. Life might not be fair, but there's still nothing righteous in me. In me dwells no good thing, scripture tells. And so in, in trying to deal with his pain, um, Job had sort of tried to justify his own existence. What, he, what we need to realize and what Job realized is that God is 100% in control. And we cannot fathom him. We cannot fathom or comprehend God in his fullness. And that's what what Job had to come to to the final conclusion about. That's why he says, he says, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear. And often a lot of us have heard of God. We come every Sunday, we hear of God. He's up here. But he says, now my eyes see you. This knowledge had moved from here six inches down, a little to the left, and was in his heart and now it was real. He had this personal, and when he, when he saw himself, he thought, even though life is unfair, I even abhor what I am, because I, no matter what I was before, it is, it is so foreign and contrary to God. But his heart ultimately was aligned to the God. He had a personal, by the end of his experiences, he had a personal intimate relationship with Yahweh that was built on Jehovah's terms, and was unwavering. Unwavering. And now, the other thing, I didn't think of this, but at the end, we know that everything works out well for Job. But this story isn't about everything working well. The story is all about God, Job serving God in spite of not knowing that it would end out well for him. And we know from the Hebrews 11, there's lots of believers where things didn't work out well. They were torn asundered. They wandered in the deserts. If you really want an encouraging prophet to look at, look at Jeremiah. It's not called the weeping prophet for nothing. Um, and, but these people all serve God. So if we look at my last slide now, in conclusion, these are the three people we have um, been studying, and I'll just read a bit from my notes. We've got Noah. What do we know about Noah? Noah walked with God, and walking with God is a decision, and that's the thing I think that's been on it. It's like, it's a, people say, how do I serve God? How do I know? How do I prepare for the ministry if, I, if you've got a call to be in the ministry one day? How do I do things for God? Well, you start with the small things. You make time for Him. I was thinking even a few times this week, and it's amazing, I've been studying these men uh, this last three weeks. I actually, there's a lot of my life has just changed by looking at their lives and being challenged. Little things that are for me, no one else will notice them, but little things like down the radio, normally have my, my music playing, and I'll be praying, and I thought, no, 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 let's shut the music, and let me pray properly. And stuff like that, where I actually make more time for God, or I want to do something, I think, well, you know, I haven't even given God time at the moment. If you want to walk with God, you've got to make time to do that. He was considered an heir of righteousness. And the thing I called out here at the bottom is, the fruit of that was that he did, uh, did, I'm not sure if you can read it that well, or you can with the big screen, the colors. He did all that God commanded him. All that God commanded him. What is God commanding you in your life? What has he called you to do? Are you doing it? And in his actions, he saved his family and all the world. So he had a concern for his family and indirectly for the whole world. Basically, from Genesis 6 verse 9, he was unique in his time. We look at Daniel. Daniel's name meant God was his judge. And indeed, he let God judge him, not man. He lived according to God's call, irrespective of the consequences of what man placed on him. He was in the world, but not of the world. He purposed not to defile himself. The sense of separation. And you know, we can live separate from the world while being in the world. But it's for me to do as an individual. Sometimes we think we can only live separate if everyone else around us is living separate. No, as an individual, separate yourself to God. He was a man of prayer. Always gave glory to God. When the, when, when, when the rulers elevated Daniel, he stepped back and said, no, God reveals the dreams. And once again, he was unique in his time. Job was noticed by God and Satan And he feared God and shunned evil. And I highlighted all those three because it just showed the purposes of their hearts. All their hearts were to put God first. He always gave God the glory. He had a personal and intimate relationship with God. And I think that's the thing I want to stress is is the personal. We all need a personal relationship. And we need a a rekindling of our personal relationship. And he was in Job chapter 1. He was unique in his time. And the last... The first I want to, thing I want to end off with is Psalm chapter 1, well known, because I think the this, this Psalm chapter 1 just summarizes the attitude and heart of these three men as an encouragement to myself in the way that I live. And it says in Psalm 1, another one of my favorite, favorite verses. It's so hard when you say things a favorite verse, eh? because I need a book to now order the favorite verses that I have, because I don't know which is my most favorite. Just, the whole scripture is so blessed and, pr- and precious. Blessed is the man, or the, the, the Amplified says, happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. All those men. Noah was mocked for building the ark. Daniel would, would, would not eat the food um, that he was offered in the beginning there. Uh, and Job shunned evil. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the word law, I use loosely there, just basically the words and commands of God. And all three men, that's what they're, their delight was in what God commanded. How then shall we live? We want to live the way God wants us to live. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And there was definitely a sense with all these three that they dwelled in the presence of God continually. And what will he be like? He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season. Whatever he does will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. And that prosper is an eternal prospering more than now. I mean, these people all had here and now prospering experiences. We know that possibly Jeremiah didn't. We know that other people didn't. So the, the prospering is that hope that I know my Redeemer lives, yet in the flesh I will see God. And so they, was, they were unwavering. And then it goes on to what the ungodly are like. We're not interested in the ungodly this morning. We're interested in the godly because those are the people we want to be encouraged by. Let's be trees planted by those rivers. Let's put our roots down into the word of God. Let's spend time with God and let's say, God, show me what I need to do to walk closer to you. And then as I walk closer to you, let me bring, as I walk closer to God, let me bring you alongside with me. And you bring me with you. And we walk together, just built up, built up. If each individual believer walks close to God, there then becomes a raging fire of revival through the communities where we live because each of us are allowing God to lead us and guide us. So be encouraged this morning. Don't beat yourself up where you you failed or feel like you failed. We all fail. But let's be encouraged to look up and know that our Redeemer lives. Amen. Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.odewabaptist.com.